This episode is brought to you by Tempest Fugitives. I was recently sent a pair of Tempest Fugitives rapier gloves. The amount of protection that they afford for the dexterity that they give you is phenomenal. I'm very happy with them. I use them for small sword, rattan, and when training with synths, because I don't actually own a rapier. I'm very excited to see what Tempest Fugitives bring out next. Visit www.tempestswords.co.uk. What's up everybody and welcome to this episode of Blades for Days where we're going to be talking about swords and sword fighting and Scottish broadsword and surviving in the wilderness. I'm your host Jordan and joining me today is Ben Hamilton of Saucer Swords. Just as a bit of a heads up, there is a little bit of feedback in this episode. I tried to clear it up as best I could, but I didn't get all of it. Uh, just deal with it, okay? Alright, it, it's not that bad, it's just feedback. What are you, too good for a podcast with a bit of feedback now? Hey, bud. Hey, hello, Jordan. How are you, all right? Yeah, I'm good. No, I'm good. It's been a, been a pretty chill week. Yeah? Um, yeah, I'm just, I, I was at another, I had a big um, survival event last weekend. So between fight camp and the survival event, there's been no real unpacking. So this whole week has just been, has just been packing and unpacking and packing and unpacking. But don't be too bad. What about yourself? Yeah, Grant. Um, same sort of thing, really. Uh, I've been, well, I've unpacked because I had lessons that I had to teach. And, uh, you know, if I hadn't unpacked, the kit would have stank. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, had to do that. Um, you said that you were feeling a little bit unwell or you'd lost your voice. Um, you're over that now? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got a little something at fight camp. It wasn't, it wasn't COVID. I did check, but yeah, I definitely got a sort of chest infection or something like that during uh, fight camp. Um, I'll try. It's much better. I'll try and not cough on the during the chat. I'll try my best, but um, if I do, then I apologise. But yeah, it's, it's much, much better. Much better. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, if you cough, that's fine. Just don't do it into the microphone. And, and we'll yeah, yeah, just... <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's like that's one of the things that people do. A lot of is either like clear their throat in the microphone uh, for, you know, and it's a podcast. So that's great. People, people love that. Or um, they start, they start like gesticulating and talking about or, or like talking about stuff in the background and not describing it, which is again, awesome podcast content, you know. <laughs> Look at this. Look at the yeah. look at how amazing this is. Can you see it? Like, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nobody's ever seen anything this cool before. <laughs> like. So yeah, um, how's the how's the outdoor survival stuff going for you? Um, it's going really well. Like it's a really fun thing to be part of. Like I, I wasn't, I was reasonably outdoorsy, you know what I mean. But I've been invited to do some pretty outdoorsy survival survival classes. Just um, my mate Tom Langhorn, who's you know survival instructor, sort of really immerses himself in it, has invited me on to do some martial arts lessons. So. But I really enjoyed it. Some of it's some of it's like, oh, like pushing me past my comfort zone. But that's that's the point of it actually, is to really push you past that kind of comfort zone. Um, no, it's been absolutely fantastic. Like I could talk about that for a long time actually. But let's it's, see. it's one of those really strange things that when you talk about pushing it past your comfort zone and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I know what you mean because I had like I've had some 
I, like I've been a reenactor for, for years. I haven't done it for, well, since just before COVID because COVID. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, it's sort of starting up again. And I'm kind of like, I don't really have my finger on the pulse uh, when it comes to events because I'm just seeing stuff coming up on Facebook now. And it's like, this thing happened <laughs> and, and this thing. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I didn't even know that was happening. And I, like, I probably wouldn't be able to go anyway at the moment because <clears throat> like I'm doing a lot of HEMA related stuff so i've sort of shifted more yeah. to that but there's like a load of events that stand out to me because they were hugely uncomfortable you know and mm. uh, like it was pissing it down and we had to okay. like you know the camping site was in one field and then you know the the where we were doing the reenactment battle was like in a different post code kind of like you know down you have to go down the lane and the lane is mostly mud and you know all this sort of stuff and you get back, like at the time, you're like, I fucking hate this. You know what I mean? Like, why am I, why am I doing this? I'm wet, I'm cold, I'm miserable. Mm. And you sort of get back. And like a week later, I'm sitting in my living room and I'm like, oh, can't wait to do it. That was amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's like all of the bad memories just flow off and all lessons of a crystallization of all the epic moments from the weekend. Yeah. yeah. No, no it's, yeah. it's very much like that. Like, you know, I'm, there's like, carrying cast iron kettles like 500 meters meters there's like lugging there's lots of prep sometimes it's the weather's not particularly good but at the end of it you go back like that was absolutely fantastic and even even like we've been lucky that all of the events we've been we've had or certainly that i've had the weather has been for scotland fantastic like hardly hardly any rain we almost wanted a little bit of rain because it maybe adds a little bit of the immersion but no it's been like unrealistically good weather every single time um no like which we try and encourage folk to again what we're saying that push push their limits like that like there's a lock right there get up in the morning get up at six in the morning swim in that lock but i mean like breathe like the, sometimes the mist is unbelievable actually like it's really like something out of it's magical you know what i mean it's beautiful pristine lock like mist evaporating off it and you're just swimming through it going this is cold <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> when i get out of it you feel amazing yeah, absolutely. Um, and I suppose like that's the that's the purpose of it, you know. What I mean, and, and again, I'm 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 encouraged to bring martial arts into that because that again, martial arts can get you out of that comfort zone a little bit. Um, and like what what me and Tom we've been working on is is like unifying traditional. Would you call it HEMA? You probably would still call it HEMA, but you know, like oh yeah. Yeah. in the morning and moving um getting in a flow doing some stick fighting with another person that you're friendly with and building up a flow with them um and then going out foraging in you know, the forest or putting on traditional clothing uh, making traditional shoes and experiencing walking for an extended period with traditional shoes and see how your feet feel see how it, it's sort of like actually it's really useful for walking through bogs because you don't get your feet aren't stuck in a big heavy boot full of water the whole day. It drains reasonably well. And all, all these other sort of things, like it's all about immersion. Um, and the martial arts aspect of that can sometimes be, I suppose you would call it focus and attention and flow, prioritizing that over, you know, micromanaging someone's guard precisely. Um, but yeah, I don't know. 
I, mean, no, I, would, I would absolutely say that's um, that's historical European martial arts, and I would say it's the quintessence in a lot of way of historical, mm -hmm. like historical yeah. European martial arts. Because one yeah. of the things that I like to do is like when I'm when I'm studying um, a source, is I don't just want to study the movements and go, okay, well, you know, like uh, like this cut or this strike works like here, but then. It, you know, for example, uh, if you know that somebody was wearing a particular type of clothing, mm -hmm. then it informs the kind of weapon that might be used against it. So, yeah, you know, um, there's the, like, you know, so textile armors, for example, right? Okay, mm -hmm. well, a slashing weapon's not particularly good. So I want a pokey pokey weapon. And then, yeah, and that sort of tells you why, you, like, you have a weapon that's more kind of like for thrusting than anything else and definitely um like one of the funny things i've had before is because uh, i train outside a lot um and uh, uh i've been sort of told by people in the past who who sort of like criticized me about um like my footwork you you're, you're very grounded you're very rooted and i'm like yeah yeah i am and you know we're in a sports hall and they're sort of like hopping about from foot to foot and doing all this sort of mm. stuff and I'm like, you try that shit outside. And a lot of the time we have them yeah. and like, and then all of a sudden they're like, Jesus Christ. And yeah. like, especially in like medieval shoes. Um, mm. I, I started cheating a little bit with, with medieval shoes like a few years back because a friend of mine, he works in the Timpsons and he makes all sorts of wonderful things. Like he, he makes like, he made my, uh, my sheath for my dagger. He makes mm. like different types of like uh, training weapons and stuff like that. But he took my reenactment shoes, which were on death's door, right? And he's he sort of like brought them back to life. And he went, look, I, I put a modern soul on it. I hope that's okay. And what was great about it is like, I was walking up this hill. Everybody else is slipping and sliding. <laughs> and they're looking at me and I'm like, don't be afraid. I'm just like you, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I, I absolutely think that that's Hema because you're not, you're not just looking at things in a vacuum and going, well, <laughs> you know, I'll just go for the hand snipe, you know, I'll go, I'll go for the hand snipe all the time mm. and, and that works. And it's like, yeah, but like if this person has got this on, you know, or mm. like if this person has a friend and you're overextending yourself, then all of a sudden none that doesn't work. You take it out of that vacuum and, and uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that that's, that's like very Vima, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like if you haven't walked a hundred miles in the last four days, without any food and no sleep, are you really doing Hema, really? <laughs> but, um, I know. I mean, I was interested. I remember listening, reading um, a Hungarian Sabre manuscript. I remember it because it was um, there was no lunges in it whatsoever. It was all passing steps because they were expected to be wearing like huge, big, heavy backpacks. I was like, well, actually, that's interesting. That, that makes sense why you wouldn't be lunging and changing your centre of mass rapidly like that. Um, but they're talking about the sort of the conditioning that you expected to have as a sword fighter and all of this conditioning was just it was flexibility it was um, proprioception there was no strength whatsoever like you were, you were fully expected to have enough strength to hold a sword what you needed to do was you know be able to raise your hand above your head without like raising the whole shoulder girdle or anything else like that you know what i mean um and it was it was interesting. I, I usually talk to people in the morning. So, you know, you do kind of a, a sword calisthenic stuff in the morning just to get people awake and in their body and prepared to move. And it's just like, 
Um, so much of historical conditioning is flexibility and and um, proprioceptive work. And I don't think I don't know. It certainly wasn't part of my early HEMA journey. It was all it was all strength strength and conditioning stuff. Um, yeah, it was all like I mean to be fair, like lots of people do need to build up the forearm strength and, and stuff like that to use a sword, but it was always just like go lift weights to get your HEMA up. Um, and it wasn't until I started working with like my partner, who's a flexibility specialist, who went, no, actually, you, you can't do a hanging guard because your forearm is just a, like a bundle of knotted muscle that can't turn. It's like, all oh, right, yeah, I should fix that. Oh, oh, all of a sudden, like my broadsword is significantly better because I worked on my flexibility. Um, have you, how do you like work in those kind of conditioning stuff at your classes or anything like that? I mean, um, generally, it's it's uh, it's a thing. So you've got like old Roman texts, mm. you know, uh, mm. Gitius, who's like, you know, yeah, hold hold the heavy thing, and the heavy thing's good. But mm. like, sort of modern studies say it'll it'll make you faster, it'll make you stronger, but only like, but almost imperceptibly. It's not even worth mm. it, really. Mm. Um, a lot of the time, it, it's more about training with the weight of the sword that you're going to use to spar with. Um, yeah. I occasionally use, uh, so I'll pick up something a bit heavier and work that, but that's mainly to check that I'm not cheating. Um, yeah. in that, like when I want to make sure that my body mechanics are, are like are just so, I'll pick something up that I know that in order to move it, I've got to move like my whole body. And I mean, I, yeah. like I do strength training anyway, but that's like, um, that's not like a vanity thing but it's just i like there have been a few people who have just absolutely shattered my guards um, yeah. because they've just been way stronger than me and i'm like well i want to be strong enough to be able to resist that happening yeah. but it's more about like just applying the right amount of strength in the right place like a lot yeah. of the time when somebody shatters your guard it's because their structure is just better than yours um and and you haven't managed to get the like get the guard in position at the correct time or whatever um or they've just been that like you know just like a bit faster to to get it through yeah. or the angle's not quite you know the angle's different so yeah i I'd, I'd absolutely agree with, with like um with things like uh conditioning um i used to laugh at my friends who did yoga i was like <laughs> yeah cool whatever nerds i'm going to the gym you know and then like I get to 30 and I'm like, fucking hell, my shoulders really hurt. You know? <laughs> so I've started doing it and um, you know, it that that really helps, you know, that really yeah. helps me out. And um yeah. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm always fascinated by how integrated traditional dancing styles were as part of for one of a better word, warrior conditioning. I mean, um like Highland dancing looks very much like Bali. I'm sure there was a, a link there somewhere, but it was it was like a whole bunch of like angry burly men proving how good fighters they were by doing this ra relatively flowing flowing dance um but it's it's hard work you know what i mean yeah um yeah. and it's it's not something you get just from doing strength training it's something that you get from paying attention to full body alignment constantly and consistently which wasn't something in broads like i don't know i'm, I'm assuming that you like mostly medieval State types of mostly medieval sort yeah, of shit. Yeah, I like the medieval stuff. People keep yeah. asking me about different weapons, and I'm like, 
shit i'll go research it you know <laughs> and then, like i come back and i'm like all right it's this you know um and i haven't had a lot of sleep but generally yeah so i like italian uh the yeah sort of italian medieval imperial mm -hmm. tradition um and then i sort of dabble with other stuff because i was going to ask you about broadsword actually but yeah go mm. on you you were going to say something. yeah well like i think because of how big I think I think it's fair to see how big a lot of these medieval movements are. You're obviously using the whole body for so many of these movements. It's really easy to talk about body engagement and alignment and, and whole body connection and stuff like that. Like with broadsword, I think this might be a how, because of how easy the translations were as well. But with broadsword, like you're kind of not really changing that much. You're facing them. Your 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 foot's facing them. Your arms facing them. Like it's not obvious when you're using the whole body but to do it well you need to be using the whole body and um, but it's very small movements like the whole body connection is really really small it's almost is isometric whole body connection rather than anything else but if you don't do that then you're really going to struggle like so much of buzzsaw is wrist cuts and i say wrist cuts when really it's, it's more like finger cuts it's like with the basket hilt you can't really move if you think about moving your wrist left and right you can't really do that in a basket hilt it gets cut all of the, the circles of the blade have to be through the contraction and relaxation of your fingers, which makes sense because most of the strength in your forearm goes into squeezing your fingers. So if you had to translate the strength of your forearm into the sword, your fingers is a better way of doing it. But if you want to do a wrist cut with broadsword, like people are right, it's not going to be very powerful unless you've backed it up with real full body connection. If your body isn't fully connected, then just, you're not going to translate the power of your lunge all the way through your body and into your hand and into your wrist. Um, so I think that was holding a lot of broadsword back for quite a while was a lack of that awareness. Like loads of folk were strong enough that their shoulder could just lift up a broadsword and move a broadsword well enough. Um, but it was, I think it was severely limiting their practice. Um, I only know that because I had to, I basically like like a year and a half ago, I had to start from the very beginning. It was just like, okay, all of my interpretations, bad. Um, we had to basically start from the very beginning, try everything from the ground up, lose a whole bunch of fights. You had to be okay with like being used to beating people and then losing again when you met them for the second time. But I think it's worked. I think, um, I think it's a better interpretation. Okay, glad to hear it. Yeah. I, um, I, I took uh, Sue Kirk's a uh, small sword class um, uh, at fight camp. And, yeah. um, you know, they, she was just talking about, yeah, make, make these circles. Uh, and I was like, yeah, cool. And she's like, you're using your wrist. And I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I am. And she's like, use your fingers. And I'm like, I can't, that's, it's impossible. <laughs> um, you know, you got to use your wrist. Uh, and the thing is like, again, I do medieval stuff. Like for me, <laughs> it's, it's the, as you say, the big movements, it's, it like it can be very graceful but it can also be quite thug-like in a lot of way mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of people yeah. who use uh long sword or um you know sword and buckler very inelegantly but effectively mm. um yeah you know uh whereas small sword you you like it was just all in the fingers and i'm like this is like this is so annoying because nothing <laughs> do you know what i mean like um, yeah. like i feel like the rest of my body's not doing anything i'm like um but then applying that to like fencing with small sword and then fencing with uh side sword as well mm. uh, it was like oh yeah that uh, that you know i get it 
now because mm. um, I was I was more sort of trying to trying to set aside people's weapons and make the cuts with my hips because that's what I'm used mm. to um, and that's what I'm used to uh, sort of like coming, uh, taking that away from boxing taking that away from like uh, a lot of stuff and mm. um, yeah that like just just going to that sort of making those micro movements mm. uh, just it, yeah it was good it was it was hard yeah <laughs> uh, yeah it's hard like it like it's really it's like it's probably the movements that people have trained the least like just in general life is the is that every every single finger is individually able to move freely and be strong i mean like again that was one of the big things i had to really think about when i was redoing my broadsword practice was oh actually most of the masters say uh, don't pick up a broadsword go do a bunch of small sword and then come back like in the small sword was your fast through work conditioning it was getting your lunges longer so that you build up the power that when you made them shorter they were still really powerful in fact even more powerful because you pulled back that range of motion and it was a heck of a lot of finger work um like an unbelievable amount of finger work but then when you apply that to the broadsword all of a sudden it makes sense and to be, and to be fair like right at the beginning of most of the broadsword manuscripts is Hey, you can't do broadsword unless you do these conditioning exercises every day. Are you doing these conditioning exercises? And the entirety of the broadsword community just went, ignore that, straight to the something <laughs> else. Um, so I I think I think that it took a while, certainly from, from my experience for my broadsword interpretation to even remotely catch up to what was actually in the manuscripts. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's because with so many of the medieval manuscripts were translated and, and are not written in a sort of a way that a lot of modern people can easily understand, there was probably a lot of attention being played in the initial interpretations and translations. Um, and I'm wondering if because a lot of the broadsword manuscripts are reasonably modern, like 1700s mostly, um, and most people can understand them, they just went, Oh, I can see. I can see that picture. I can easily understand that. You just raise the hand high and have the, the, the hilt low and the blade pointing down. That's what a hanging guard is, without any any depth of thought or depth of interpretation. Um, unless I just may be in a vacuum. Maybe at the beginning of the medieval manuscripts, there was all of that as well. I don't know. Yeah, when some things kind of spell out for you. A lot of the time, you don't then sort of spend long hours sitting there thinking about it and um yeah you know and because yeah one of the things that i sort of do is i'll i'll notice that you know from like fury for example which is which is what i spend most of my time looking at yeah. i'll notice that somebody in one of the illustrations is in a particular guard and i'm like you know what why is he in that guard it doesn't mention like he, it, it doesn't mention it in the uh, in the text. It just goes, you know. It just says something like, "I will go against him with, you know, uh, from this guard with this crossing, um, and you know, and, and I'll bloody, you know, I'm going to kick his ass, right?" But it doesn't say why this person is like, why, why the opponent is taking that guard, like why, mm. you know, um, and and there's almost the thing of like, why did that person think that that would work? in the first place yeah. because yeah. in order to counter something 
it has to be effective to need to be countered and so yeah. you know just just this one illustration and then you're like yeah thinking about it but like if it's spelled out for you then you you do you tend to gloss over things don't you i mean mm. like i you know i go to ikea i'll get a table or whatever i don't like i'll pay i'll take the instructions out of the box i'm like fuck that i don't need those and i start <laughs> putting it together and then i'll put it together wrong i'm like ah shit, where are the instructions you know <laughs> i like that i think that's that's a pretty good metaphor for a lot of broadsword actually yeah that's a pretty good one um i think yeah i think um I don't know, like, has there been any massive changes in, in your interpretation re recently? Or did a lot of this sort of medieval, these sort of, did a lot of these medieval interpretations get solidified like a little while ago? Or are they sort of, are they really constantly changing massively? It's one of those things where I find it hard sometimes to think about like where I, where I started. I know that there are certain things mm. that I used to think, but mm. the sort of epiphanies are, not few and far between, but you know, they, I like, I might make a slight adjustment to the way that I explain something to my students because I believe that it might be used for something different. Right. Yeah. Um, so like recently, for example, and I'm using Fiore a lot because again, that's my wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like, I noticed, and this is because I started doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu was mm. so I was looking at the difference between judo and Jiu Jitsu and like, you know, judo, um, it, it's sort of like a very concentrated part of jujitsu. Um, and so like, I might be, you know, I might be training takedowns in Brazilian jujitsu and I'll get taken down on my opponent and I'll get taken down. Um, and then we're like, oh yeah, but the fight's carrying on. Do you know what I mean? And then mm, like, they're yeah. trying to get on top of me and, and submit me or whatever. And I'm like, uh, you know, comparing sort of uh, Talhofer stuff to Fury. Um, and in Talhofer, uh, uh, you know, he, he throws somebody down on the floor and then quite viscerally stabs them in the neck or whatever. Uh, and, and, and then it's, and the facial expressions on these drawings are like, they're fantastic. <laughs> um, because it's, it's usually this kind of indifference. It's like, ah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, but with Fiore, it's always like he gets them to the position where he's about to throw the like about to throw this person, and then and then it's uh, and then it stops, right? Hmm. Uh, and then it's like I'll throw him on the floor, and it's like yeah, cool. But then what? Yeah. Um, and like at the start of the book, he uh, at, at the start of the manuscripts, he's very much like oh, you know, the, like I've trained people for like tournaments, um, hmm. you know, tournaments at the time. But this is for self-defense and this is for martial art and mortal combat. But like the a lot of the wrestling rules for competitions at the time were mm. get your opponent on the floor, the fight's done. If it's like I yeah. think for some of them in certain um German Festschooler, it's like three points of contact. So if their hands and one of their knee touches the floor, the fight's over. I yeah, again, I think I might be pulling that out of my ass but I'm fairly confident I read that somewhere. Um, so it's like, in the same way that you can definitely use judo for self-defense, mm. but it doesn't really explore kicking your opponent when they're down. Not that I'm saying you should, but you know, <laughs> like yeah. if it's a fight to the death, you maybe wanna. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe Fiora 
didn't really expand on it because it's like it's more of a like a competition thing yeah and so like I haven't changed my opinion of whether or not this was used for my, like like a self-defense thing, but I think that maybe he made a, not made a mistake or anything, but like definitely left a huge gap in, mm. in the book. Uh, and so I have to then kind of like look at other stuff and go like, why, why did he do that? Like, why is he, why yeah. is he doing this sort of stuff? So yeah, it, it's more stuff like that than anything um and it, it, it's just that like shift in context that, that yes a testing your own understanding of what that context would be like yeah. i was thinking about yeah i've been thinking about that a lot like a while ago when i was doing the sort of the, the martial arts as part of this historical survival weekend it's just like we're so obsessed with with sparring um and we try and make sparring as realistic as possible and i think that's a, is, is a useful and noble goal that we needed to do when we're reviving a historical martial art from text that we had to do that but the amount of people that did that historically is tiny like almost nobody did sparring anything like the way we do sparring like there was so many games and so many rules and various forms and some of these games were really really polite and i would say that well we, we would look at that and go well, that's not martial training whatsoever you're just you're only allowed to use three guards and you have to do everything at half speed how is that martial training and just like well these are the people that actually fought with a sword for real sometimes and that's what they did um or or like sometimes it was brutal <laughs> there's a lot of pretty violent stick fighting games found in scotland and britain and all these other things but even so there was much more in the way of rules frameworks ethics um like there was never just here we replicate the real fight it just it just didn't happen it was either games violent games i mean even our modern competition is just various forms of games um or it was flow drills and that that was one of the things i was trying to talk about to folk at the weekend was actually like by you and your partner following a similar system of rules understanding frameworks you're both in the same sort of mindset um, and you're playing i'm sure you i'm sure you find that all the time when you're sparring with a student that trains the same way as you and you don't go to half speed you get this wonderful sort of flow going and that was like sometimes you would be trained or or, or learn the, the rules of the game just so you could get that flow um, and that wasn't wasn't just martial training it was a whole lot of other things that was training you or, or letting you experience it's just always a, a pleasant experience and um, so folks saw that out but yeah like that back to that back to that initial point it's just like we're so obsessed with sparring when did we when did anybody historically spar the way that we're sparring um i, I can hardly ever find it i don't know yeah um it's one of the things that uh keith farrell's workshop uh, well, one of his workshops was about at, uh, hmm. at, at fight camp, and um, you know he was talking about like um, you can for the purpose of this exercise, um, we're following the rules of uh, a particular fight school, um, you know medieval fight school. You can only hit with the flat of your sword, right? Hmm. And I'm like. And there's the part of my head that's like, well, that's training bad habits, and I'll have no <laughs> fucking business with that kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And I talked to him about it. I was like, well, what's the, um, you know, what, like, 
Yeah, but that's strange bad habits, though, right? And he's like, well, no, like if you, you know, if you're used to that sort of thing, if you, you know, if this is something that you're training with um, every day, then, uh, you know, or, or training with frequently, then it becomes much easier to sort of transition between, okay, I'm, I'm going to slap you with my sword and I'm going to hurt you kind of thing. Mm. And I was like, and, you know, and then I, I, I sort of fought somebody and we were fighting and we were trying to hit each other with a flat. And he was like, well, you were able to hit him with a flat, um, despite the fact that you're always trying to get it edge on. So surely you could reverse that. And if mm. you were trying to hit him with the edge, you know, you would do it um, edge on, especially if you're doing your own own training away from other people where you're doing yeah. like, and stuff like that, um, edge on as, as part of your like regular training. So... Yeah, I mean, like games and stuff. Um, and I was talking to uh, uh, Jack Gassman about this as well. Um, you know, there's sort of uh, evidence of um, like Genghis Khan playing big, like like big battle games with mm. his armies, um, like normally in the form of like hunting and stuff like that. So they'd each, uh, they'd, they'd all hunt like different animals and... and mm. And, and stuff but it was training um it was training his army to work in cohesion um but it was a game so it was like you know it, it's that whole reward thing um mm. if you get a good flow then you're rewarded by that feeling of you know that well the feeling of being in the flow is great isn't it because you yeah you're in the moment and you're kind of like you're uh you're able to see your own progress and how well you yeah. do because when you first start and you go like right okay i'm gonna do uh, this cut and and mm. that's it and you stop um and i get like uh, and i'm sure you get it as well where you get loads of students who make a cut and then they freeze and they're like what he blocked it or, 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 <laughs> or she's countering it like what what do i do now right mm. and you're like well make another cut like do do it mm. again, but on the other side you know um yeah so when you're doing this sort of like flow drill, it's really nice to be like, oh yeah, cool. Like I can see my progress now, my confidence in movement um, and the fact that I'm getting everything correct. Yeah. So, yeah. And like um, going back to like even these large scale games has been quite, because obviously all over Europe and Scotland included was an incredible dueling culture. But I found it quite interesting that in some early some of the early Highland days, like even even inter-clan conflict was a game. You know, I mean, like we we have a problem to be solved. This is an inter-clan problem to be solved, and we have swords, and that's how we're going to solve this problem. And um, but it was very much like we will have fifty guys; they will all be armed with this thing, and quarter will be given. So it's, it basically became like a multiple first blood sporting tourney event. You know, I mean, even though it was for reasonably serious purposes like you'd be you could easily die but you yeah. know if you got hit you could go you could basically put your hand up like a sparring game and go i'm out i'm out and run and run and run off and quarter be given i remember there was a story of um an area of scotland tried to do that with one of the norwegian invasions and the norwegian just went sure we'll bring 500 men yeah and then he just brought 2,000 men with spears and arrows and just wiped them through but um Going back to the flow as well, like it, it was interesting because I was teaching folk, they would like people just wanted to pick up a stick off the forest and fight with it. And I was like, well, okay, maybe we can do a kind of a, 
maybe French straight stick or maybe like peasant staff or you know something that let's, let's just work through some simple you know rotational guards and parries and, and whatever and then oh all of a sudden you know just some key core foundational things and with lots of repetitions and pyre style style of play and then like within maybe half an hour folk were loving it like and completely fully engaged with a broad grin on their face able to do with their partners basically infinite parry riposte exercises um with various different guards and beats and pat and all these other sorts of things um it does make like and that was just a, a, that's very much like how a lot of historical broadsword was taught. Like it was, uh, however you want to call it, doubling exercises. It was, you know, this I go, you go, I go, you go. Even the actual single state games was very much you don't make more than, you know, you just lunge and, lunge and parry, lunge and parry, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. It's not the best way of winning fights. Like, you know, like double strikes, hard parries, fast reposts, um, you know, stepping forwards into grappling. Those are effective ways of winning fights. But at that particular point, we know that that's not how they trained. It was constant flow backwards and forwards. And I don't know, does that go back further to like, when you're reading medieval manuscripts, is there, does, is it, do you, do you get the intimation that that was a way that they trained or did they train very much with like drilling in a more sort of cata-like formalized sense? I'm not sure about that. There are uh, uh, flourishes. Uh, yeah, so I suppose that's like a kata. Yeah, you know, so you like there the, the are flourishes in uh, some of the German um, mm. manuscripts. And uh, I think a lot of the time it was gamified as well. Um, mm. And so you like, obviously, you, you know, you'd have uh, people training against e each other um but you don't want you know you, you you don't want you guys killing each other um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like or, or or battering each other to like you know um to death or whatever so like mm -hmm. again you'd get these like these fencing guilds and these um and these people sparring and training and it would probably be gamified but like uh again mm -hmm. like the, the 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 rules were quite strict not only on how you were hitting them and, and the fact that you weren't trying to like kill them or whatever or, or like even really injure them that badly if you could help it um yeah but also like if you like if you were disrespectful and stuff as far as i'm aware um then you would be it, like you'd be admonished for it by mm. uh, the you know the people in the guild the people running the place yeah um because you're not there to like settle personal interpersonal disputes you're there to like mm. train and to um and i suppose to like to, to to some degree to have fun as well and uh and, and take part in like a like a social activity um so yeah it's uh it's one of those things that you find more and more of, especially with like wrestling, you know, because yeah. uh, wrestling makes up a huge part of the corpus of most medieval uh, fencing manuals. Um, and, you know, and again, and that's about being able to control your body and being comfortable, um, you know, uh, sort of uh, fighting against somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, but there, there again, there are like rules, um, in, in place 
you you know you you're looking to submit your opponent or throw them on mm. the floor, uh, and yeah. then would be at like fairs and stuff like that. They would have you would have like wrestling competitions. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, like at which point I think status went out the window as well. You get fairly well-to-do people uh, like grappling with villagers and, and testing mm. strength against them. And cool. so, you know, yeah, it's um, again, like bringing that sort of like social aspect into it. Uh, mm. And and again, grappling something that you can do, I'm going to say relatively safely, like if you know, <laughs> like a, just a little bit about yeah. grappling. Um I had going back to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I had this like really uh like horrifying moment because I was grappling with a guy mm. and English wasn't his first language and he had both my arms sort of trapped. So I was I was saying tap, right? And I was like tap mm. and he's like pulling my arm and I'm like tap. He said tap, let him go. And the guy's like looking at him, shaking his head, and I'm like hell like uh you know so he was like let him go and he like pulled him off uh mm. yeah and i was like dude you <laughs> yeah means let, let the fuck go buddy okay yeah and yeah, yeah. you know he didn't mean any harm by it but i was like at, at least learn that like please yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean um sorry i may have frozen but if you can still hear it um yeah, I mean, like the people that I trust most to wrestle in HEMA context are the people that have done wrestling properly in another martial art. Like, like I've not, I've not had a hugely positive experience with just random HEMAists that kind of want to wrestle. Yeah, you know I mean, but the people that know how to wrestle, they can do it really safely. But it's almost like the random HEMAists that kind of have started a little bit of wrestling. But not well enough to have properly incorporated it into their skill set. It just becomes, yeah. I've seen, I've seen some pretty un, some pretty dangerous, you know, unpleasant stuff against me and other folk. But it, it, it kind of makes me want to learn wrestling properly. Like during during lockdown, it's like, what martial arts do I want to learn? What martial arts do I want to learn? <coughs> Apologies. Um, and I was just like, actually, a good grappling system would be amazing because I can teach. I'm not even confident, like I can do them okay, but I'm not even confident doing the simple arm wrap trips and broadsword. Like I can I can sort of teach them. Like I know the fundamentals of them, but like I wouldn't say that I have internalized all of the subtle mechanics of grappling enough to make that like a high percentage technique that I can rely on. Probably because most people are taller than me. I mean, like I, I did a little bit of Aikido and I know everyone's has opinions of the effectiveness of Aikido. I don't think it's the most effective, you know. But the one thing it did make me was very slippery. <laughs> so like whenever whenever anyone is 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 going for these long sword grapples, just being able to like like um sort of like jump around them and slip underneath their arms and escape and all these other things has been much more useful in trying to counter grapple for me. But yeah. again I'm, I'm shorter than most of the guys that try and grapple me. Is a good shorter than me, and he is constantly wrecking me. I mean, like obviously, the black belt, you know, and, and yeah, like <clears throat> I I'd, like I don't even know if I qualify for a white belt. I I have a a translucent belt, you know. <laughs> um, it's uh, it, 
you know, it, it's something that I've dabbled with um, in the past. Like, I like grappling. And again, like nothing, I don't teach any of the stuff where it's, uh, where it puts pressure on the joints. Um, mm. Like if I can help it, if it's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm teaching, I'm teaching this part, which leads into this. Um, I like, I'll, I'll talk about it a bit. Um, but to have it applied in, you know, to have it applied in fencing is quite, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it's quite difficult. Like hyperextension, fine, because all you need to do is like, if I get that wrap on, that's fine. Mm. I know that if I go, you know, and I like, I have this thing with my students where I'm like firm, not fast, right? So mm. if they just do it and they're firm about it and they're, you know, uh, like they know that if they were to, put on a bit of torque then that hyperextension is going to like it you know that's going to happen yeah but when it's like oh no i'm gonna like i'm gonna attack the joint in such a way as it's it's like your wrist is one point of the triangle your shoulder is the other um you know your elbow is going to be the middle point and that's going up kind of thing and we're, we're breaking mm. that sort of stuff i mean there's no point in in even trying it because if you if you train it and you're like right i'm going to do this ten thousand times and then you like try that um in a tournament when the pressure's on or whatever and you're just like mm. ah boosh you know destroy somebody's <laughs> arm like, yes yeah. the crowd <laughs> <laughs> um i might i might have like i might hear about it if one of my students goes to a tournament then and uh and they're like oh by the way just uh just thought you we'd let you know that uh, yeah, you like you, your student decided to like stomp on a load of people's knees and stuff. It's like ah, yeah, sorry about that. What happened? <laughs> it just yeah, um, it's so dangerous. So like, mm. I I generally don't go for that. Uh, yeah, it's usually locks in the sense of I'm trying to control you. Although. I was so annoyed. Uh, it, like, it, it, I'm, I'm going to blame the weather or whatever. But, like, you and I had that fight, and I managed to wrap up our swords, and I was like, I'll go for my dagger. And I just couldn't pull it. It was fucking my belt. And I was so irritated, and you managed to get both our swords free. And then I'm stood there holding my rumble like an idiot, and I'm like, fuck, it was such a missed opportunity. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sure lots of people died, unfortunately, raging at the fact that their dagger was... Yeah, in the or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, I wonder how many historic people die just going. That was bloody unfair. <laughs> I should have won. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, yeah. The, they had no right. They had no right. <laughs> Redo. Redo. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, I like. I've had it before where I'm training with somebody and I get caught mm. in their kit, and that must have happened a whole lot. You know. Mm. Like, where you you put something in and it just gets caught on like um, a part of their jacket, which isn't part of their mm. body, um, mm. but your sword gets caught on it and you try to parry, but your point is stuck and you're like you can't get your like you you guard up and you get smashed in the bonds and you're like that was bullshit. That was <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I I get that a lot and I'm like that that must have happened so many times where somebody just like won by the skin of their teeth kind of thing or you know uh, or, or like it was just the fact that they couldn't draw their sword because because of uh, uh, the the fact that they were in the crush um, mm -hmm. like a melee or something 
um, or if they like slip on glass or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you know, and I mean, again, you'd you'd know a lot about that sort of traipsing across the the countryside and. You know. Yeah, I, I mean that's one of the things we were doing was we were trying to make most of this was you know my friend Tom, but we were trying to make proper Highland shoes, which was deer skin with the hair on the outside and the you know one that's quite interesting because you know um, depending you, you you get a good bit of purchase on the backward facing hairs. So if you're walking up a slightly muddy slope, whatever you were using just leather, you're probably sliding back down again. The deer skin gives you that little bite and that little purchase. Um, and we were actually like, kind of like what we're talking about at the beginning is just like, yeah, you can't, you can't be bouncy. And you, in broadsword, you don't see a lot of like ball of the feet turns, you know, when you're putting so much pressure or, or heel strikes on, on fast lunges, but you do, you. You are using most of your feet, but you still have to be activating, putting pressure through the balls of your feet. Like you can't just be relaxed. Your feet can't just be relaxed, and you'll feel that as soon as you're in your barefoot or you're wearing these light shoes. Like it's not that you're using flat, relaxed feet. It's that all of the feet are engaged. Most of the, depending what stance you're using, most of it's on the side and the balls and the and the flat. But you're not so pronounced that you've got a small surface area. So again, that's like. What I was talking about earlier on with like broadsword is it's so easy to be lazy. It's so easy to be lazy because you can't just stand there with perfectly flat feet, or you can just stand there with your, you know, your shoulder barely engaged in a hanging guard. Um, and you're still technically filling all the criteria in the manuscripts, but they're not you're not a, you're not pushing yourself martially, I think. Like if the point is martial art is to be able to use your body effectively, you're not getting that from a lot of types of you're not getting that from a lot of broadsword interpretations like for one of the things like is the you know that offhand like i mostly learned this from my partner victoria who's very good with biomechanics she had to basically live it her whole life um and you know we were talking about you know having both arms extended out and you know hand at the hip and all of these complex left hand positions that you see in well i mean at my broadsword but i've seen it in chinese martial arts so you see it in other one-armed martial arts is the hand is active and engaged. And it's just like, well, loads of reasons for it. Your center of mass is further backwards. That's that's one reason. But it's also a sort of a physical clue. So if you're pulling both of your shoulder blades back in with two arms extended, one arm back, one arm at the front, it's you it's uh I said hardly anyone can get full back engagement just from the one hand. And you need full back engagement in order to do most sword fighting properly, especially broadsword, because everything's so the movements are so small. And you, you can't really do that. It's like squeeze one butt cheek. It's like, okay, maybe I can squeeze one butt cheek. Okay, now squeeze both butt cheeks. Oh yeah, I can squeeze both butt cheeks really tense. But I can only maybe squeeze one butt cheek a little bit. It's kind of the same with the back. It's like both arms are fully active and engaged in the movement. Oh, all of a sudden, the, the 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 back is fully engaged and the, the weight and the the mass of the sword is getting better distributed throughout the entire right and left side of your back. And it's just like you don't get that just from reading the manuscripts. <laughs> you actually have to listen to someone that knows what the knows what they're talking about. And then when you look at the pictures, it's self-evident. Like if you look at some of the back of rowers, their backs are their scapulas are really engaged. You know what I mean? 
these are not they're not just relaxing their arms backwards in a careless fashion it's everything is fully gauged and tight um well that's another way in which my broadsword interpretation had to drastically change i yeah. talk about all that yeah. one, i guess Broadsword, I know next to nothing about because it's not a, it's not a period of history um, that I I know a great deal about anyway. I usually defer to uh, Nick and Mike Thomas from the AHF. Yeah, I'll be like, hey, this is this I found this saber. What is it? What what does it do? Like, what's it for? And um, uh, and Nick Thomas has this like really impressive kind of like. Uh, just encyclopedic knowledge of different sabers and stuff and uh like i've literally i described the saber to him and he told me the date and manufacturer like oh that's a that's a i I don't i can't fucking remember what he said it was he was like that's a one of these right and i was like oh cool okay are are you sure you know and he went oh yeah yeah yeah. it's this it was made by this person and i was like oh (laughs) um you know so the broadsword, I know like very, very little about, and I don't know if like the the way in which you use it would be similar to something like um, Roworth's saber. Yeah, yeah, like like very much. Yeah, you, know, you can you can do most of it from Roworth actually. Like you can go a little bit further backwards. Like if you wanted to, you could start with like Wild or someone like that. Um, but yeah, you can go all the way from Wild to Roarth. I mean, there is a debate going on in, in Broadsword right now. It's just like, are these different systems? So there's various masters, English masters, Scottish masters, everything like that. It's like, are these actually different systems? Or are these just the things that individual masters particularly liked, but it was actually sort of fragments, like snapshots of what you could describe as a larger system that was being constantly like most people knew of who knew sword fighting and it's just these masters just like had these preferences for their guards and these preferences for um you know their their their, their preferred fight theory and stuff like that like you can so much of broadswords so starting a bit maybe maybe wild would probably be where i would start you could maybe go back to george silver um but i'd probably start a bit wild as one of the earliest ones and keep going um Oh, you can kind of you can kind of draw a line from that all the way to like Matthewson. Um, now there are differences between all of those manuals, but I don't know. Maybe it's just my personality. Like I, I always see the similarities between things way more than I see the differences. So I'm going like, oh yeah, that's pretty much that. And if I learned that and that, then you know, maybe maybe one maybe one master prefers to have their guard high because they're afraid of a forcing cut straight down to the head as an opening action. Whereas someone has their guard slightly lower because they're most afraid of a rising cut to the wrist, but the same guard principle is basically the same. I mean, and you're only talking about a period of like 80 years. Yeah, maybe 80, 80 years, maybe a hundred years tops for a lot of these things. So I don't think it's I think it's reasonable to look at most of the broadsword manuscripts from that whole period of time as as kind of kind of very, very similar things. I know a lot of people don't like that. They're like, no, no, it's um the distinct systems, you have to understand them properly and individually before you do anything else. And like, I can understand that, but like by doing all, it was only by looking at different manuscripts that the gaps in one became obvious. You know what I mean? Like one master will describe something in more detail that's 
it's actually the same thing as this, what this other master described that we've been all been trying to figure out. So if we didn't have that crossover between the manuscripts, we'd never really figure out what this first one was describing. And yeah, I like it because there's also a little bit, you know, it's, there's a little bit of older theory in there. Like it's not all like later military saber theory. There's some older stuff in there as well. And not quite, maybe only when you get to silver does it become like a proper crossover between medieval and, and modern. But um, yeah, you could mostly just, you could mostly just think about it as, you could mostly do broadsword from Rohrth. And in fact, if you did all four of Rohrth's treatises, you'd probably have a pretty good understanding of what swordsmanship from that whole area of Britain was like. So Rohrth's pretty good. I would say that in broadsword, like Rohrth describes every single weapon has a different way of moving it slightly. So even if you're using the same cutting theory, you can't just rely on, you have to understand every weapon. So if you're thinking about able to use a spadroon and a saber and a broadsword, the point in which all of those blades have to rotate in your hand is going to be different. But you can't, and you can't, like we we're saying at the beginning, you can't use your wrist for a broadsword the way you can kick, kick, casually start using your wrist with a saber. Like it really has to be from the fingers. I'd say that's one of the most, most significant differences with the broadsword is you actually have to use the fingers to generate these these tight circles. It can't be anything from the wrist. I'd say that one of the against the was like it was really interesting mm -hmm. rotation, like because mm -hmm. you know I'm used to a more shallow. Well, I'm not shallow, but like a sort of like you know when the, when the rotation is made, it's made at a very sort of uh, like kind of not quite a steep angle and that, i think that's because um like i fight against side sword a lot mm. and you know with side sword uh i think just the way the you know sometimes the the hilt construction maybe or the mm. point of rotation of the blade it just doesn't lend itself well to those steep cuts um mm. like quite as well as uh, the the broadsword did, and again, the most I know about broadsword is like the the scene from Rob Roy, you know, at the <laughs> end. Um, which like, I'm sure you get. A lot, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I I do like I think that I think that yeah, the best part of broadsword has been able to really those like that cut three, for instance, that like really fast. Although I didn't land any on you, you're really good. I don't know if that's the same sort of thing. Like I mean, I tried to do cut threes on everybody during fight camp. I think you and Keith Farrell were the only two that I didn't reliably land any on. It was really interesting. It was very good, like just just catching the cross guard. But that's probably because, that, like you, because you have the cross guard, you have to be quite active with your hand defense. So you're always paying attention to exactly where that sword is coming through your hand. Whereas, like people who do more saber, they kind of rely on the the guard position itself being the hand defense, so the three can rise up underneath because they're not paying attention a lot. Um, yeah, it was it was good fighting. It was good fighting against you because you didn't you didn't let any of those land at all. It was nice. But I would say that, like for instance, yeah, being able to do these really tight, rapid rising cuts from left and right. Um, one hardly anyone could do them. Again, one of these one of the ways in which I'd say that my personal broadsword interpretation has changed, which was everyone's rising cuts were, you know, almost like hip rotation, almost like the Dunton Busak or something like that. <coughs> You know, they didn't be fold their arm over down to the side and then add a little bit of torso rotation and a little bit of everything else. And no, from my reading, you're, the way you generate your rising cuts, especially your three, 
is functionally identical to the way you generate your descending cuts, which is just elbow extension and finger extension. And it's just, you have to have flexibility in the forearm to be able to turn just your forearm, not your shoulder, just your forearm into those lines and then power them with a lunge and full elbow extension rapidly and solidly. But it's a really unintuitive movement. Like, again, you don't get that kind of movement unless you do your, you know, like what Rose says, you're cutting, you're cutting practice theory every day just from the wrist. Um, so that's, I think I'd say that's quite distinct. Oh no, it, was, it, it continued on to like all these other like more modern saber traditions, I think. But at its time, that was like a really cool and distinct part of it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's funny because Broadsword seems to be that didn't like I I haven't seen it spread out as much mm. stuff like saber because I know mm. that obviously you know goes you know it comes down to like um, uh, British expansion sabers mm. uh, are taken by Indian soldiers who are like yeah mm. like this I'm keeping it um, but like I don't like i don't see it uh, quite as much with yeah the scottish broadsword do you have any mm. ideas as to why that might be i mean like we're talking about modern hema practice because i think a lot of that was it was it was impossible to get a good broadsword for like up until maybe two or three years ago <laughs> like yeah it was, like you could there was even even in the early days you'd get something like a hut and saber you know and that was kind of functional but, but to get a good broadsword, like I remember some of the old, some of the old broadswords you used to get, the AHA ones, which it was good that the AHA managed to negotiate with Hanway to make a broadsword, but it was, it was like 1.8 kilos or something like that. It's just like, sometimes broadswords were heavy, but not by that much, not for a one-handed sword. That was an absolute, oh, it's an absolute nightmare to use. Um, and even, even, even still, like everyone's so determined to make a broad broadsword because they want to have a broadsword. They wanted to look and feel like a, a broadsword and show it to the mates and go, look how broad my sword is. Um, but it's almost impossible to make a, a broad broadsword, actually, for HEMA that handles like the real thing. I mean, like, Jim Mass has made these new Manitoba blades with armor class, and obviously Castile's made a couple and stuff like that. And they are slightly on the lighter end. They are on the lighter end for broadswords. But we finally have a training tool actually acts like the real thing. So we're probably years behind Longsword in that respect. Like, I know a lot of Longsworders are complaining about how realistic our feathers actually, but at least it allows you to use steels properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that Broadsword is a little bit behind in that respect. We kind of just had to use Rawlings for ages, and Rawlings don't act like a steel Broadsword at all. They, act, they kind of act a little bit more like a Sabre, I think, from my experience. Um, the weight's too far forwards um, in Rawlings very often, so that even though they're like what 800 grams or less for a Rawlings, they feel heavier than a, a, a they feel heavier than a good broadsword. Um, so I think it was a uh, the technology. Um, I think it's not as interesting. Well, it depends. Like I love it. I think it's really interesting. I think it's one of the most effective sword systems. Side sword's pretty good as well, but like you don't get you don't get that, like, oh, I'm going to, I'm, at the beginning when you're doing your, your, your medieval training and you're doing these wonderful big cutting cuts with steps and, and full body rotation, you kind of feel cool. You know what I mean? There's not, you don't get that cool factor 
just doing solo stuff with a broadsword. You're just cutting in front of you. It's not until it becomes really fluid or you're working with somebody else and you're getting a lovely parry repost flow that it really starts to become alive. Like, I think you can train medieval stuff, maybe some staff stuff, like slowly on your own and it's still fun. You know what I mean? Like the flourishes you were talking about and all these other things. It's, it's, it's much harder to do that with broadsword, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. It took me like, quite a while to pick up a saber and be like, well, you know what? This is all right, actually. Um, although I even had that with side sword. Um, mm. When I was literally given a side sword that I was like, mm. all right, I guess I'll train with it. You know, and, and I, I'm kind of into side sword. I'm like, yeah, I love this, actually. This is cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it's... Um, uh it, like it, it is i mean longsword is like the mac daddy of hema though you know like everything yeah. <laughs> uh it's funny because like i chat you know a friend of mine alex timmerman um he'll do everything but longsword he's like nah sword, spadroon saber sword and buckler like if he's feeling it um and <clears throat> and this is a like a strong powerful guy you know what i mean like he's mm. like he's uh, he's built um but he's all about the you know about the small sword and it and it's really it's really interesting because like um i i've only just picked up small sword recently um mm. like the the physicality of it is totally different i don't train mm. with a small sword when i go out the back uh, to do like any training um, I pick up a longsword almost exclusively just because I know there's like, I don't know, like you said, it's that, that it's that feeling like I'm listening to a podcast or an audiobook or whatever. Um, and I'm just sort of going through these like cuts and these motions and sort of like shifting my weight and stuff. Um, and I know that if I were to do that with row with saber, I'd just be like, oh, like, you know, two minutes in, I'd be like, yeah, great. I'm, I'm bored now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think you might be, yeah, I think you might be on to something there. Um, yeah. So, what about uh, what about future projects for you with the outdoor stuff and your HEMA stuff? What are you going to be working on as we into? <laughs> well, my partner, who's like we we started up Sursa, so the Sursa Scottish Swordsmanship was was a new business that we just started up. Obviously, we started up in 2020, which is the worst possible time to ever start anything. Um, but that's been good. So uh, she's got ambitions. We're going to try and create a, a sort of a tournament. But we've got some reasonable contacts with craftsmen and makers. Um, so maybe because one of the things we were thinking about was that HEMA, so, much, so many HEMA clubs market to HEMAists and market to the HEMA community. And they kind of like, they want to be noticed and appreciated by the HEMA community because it's a, it's a good community. Everyone likes each other and everyone get that validation from their mates and stuff like that. But that means you're hardly ever doing anything that people would like. <laughs> you're doing it because, you know, your old instructor would like it or you think people on Facebook would like it. Um, so, yeah, she's got lots of really good ideas and she's got the organizational skills to make this happen. Like, her work ethic is insane. Uh, she used to work like 40 hours a week training and then like 45 hours a week working in uni and like she somehow managed to combine the two of those together. I was like, I don't, 
which has managed to bring that work ethic back into the club, which is is good to have that kind of work ethic in a club. Um, so we'd like to have a tournament, um, probably, probably, probably broadsword and single stick, maybe invite, but actually have it accessible for the public. So something that you know flyers out, you can see what the rule sets are, people can understand them. It's, there's going to be demonstrations, going to be lessons. Have it as a big sort of historical cultural event. Already have some interest as regards to that, and then bring all these makers and craftsmen and stuff that that we know that would be interested. See if that see if that works. Um, we we're also doing. I'm continuing to do these Highlander survival courses. Um, be thinking about doing some more stuff like that. And um, yeah, we've just got the regular club going, which is you know we've just started, so like it's it's still in the stages of growing and developing, but. If you ever want to try and get better at broadsword, I would. I personally would recommend sourcing. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, that's the highest We're thinking about it could be a bit of both. Like we're having to negotiate between what the realistic version of it versus the ideal version of it would be, and whether or not we we expand for the next time we do it. Um, trying to inside, we'll try inside, or I think it's safer to have a tournament inside. But there is a kind of a a cool romanticization factor about just just having it say in a castle grounds or something like that and yeah. it's super yeah. super accessible and you know everyone can see it from miles around or whatever and we'd have to we'd have to properly do the risk assessment in the because like for whatever better we're like no lots of people in Hiva have complaints about it but like hmb has got the marketing down pretty well like they have these big outdoor one-on-one tournaments and they incorporate all these other things involved in it and it it has a kind of a, a slight wow factor, although I think, you know, it'd be worth exploring other ways of making people engaged in what you're doing. But I don't know how many, because HEMA has tried to forge a sort of modern crisp identity, and I think it's been pretty good, actually. You don't necessarily always want it to look like reenactors. But certainly in Scotland, like, there is a, a market for a cultural experience. Not necessarily like Ren Fairy or anything like that, but just a little bit more grounded and, and cultural. Mm. Um, be worth exploring, exploring that a little bit, I think. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't like you said, it doesn't have to be Ren Fairy. There's, um, uh, I was talking to Mike Prendergast, uh, mm. we were chatting about like the uh, uh, the Society of Create anachronism i think it is oh yeah 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 and uh the, you know the stuff that they do is is pretty cool because it's not it's not quite reenactment it's not quite mm. ren fair it's like we're, we're like you know there's there are people there who like do authentic style book binding but they're not dressed up yeah. in yeah. like a gown or anything they're, they're just sort of like this is how i would have like this is how you do it um mm. i mean i like um i think if you had somebody there who's like yeah check it out i'm i'm making like a, you know a blacksmith or whatever this is like i'm making stuff again they don't have to be uh like in a like a, in a sort of stand with ye olde blacksmith it can be like this is my modern equipment this is how i do it but it's like yeah. um but then if people are curious and they're like well how would you have done this in the past and it's like well, I mean, we, we don't know, but we can speculate that they would have probably done it this way or whatever. Um, mm. I think that'd be great. Uh, and and I love stuff like that personally. Uh, mm. I, you know, again, 
as like as a former reenactor, I, I have nothing, absolutely nothing against reenactment. I love reenactment, but mm. I, I do want HEMA and reenactment almost like to have a slight separation so that I don't get people like when I explain what HEMA is, go, oh, so it's it's reenactment. And I'm like, no, because it deserves mm. its identity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and and also it deserves the acknowledgement from other martial arts as well. Mm. Um, mm. And I know that sounds a little bit it might sound a little bit needy or whatever, you know. What I mean? <laughs> but like when I when I like there are times where I'm talking to people who, you know, and they and they do like kung fu or whatever, and I say, Oh yeah, I do historical European martial arts, and they're like, Oh, that's nice. And I'm like, ah, whatever. Like I'm thinking to myself, I could fuck you up. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And so like there, there's almost that like, you know, we, we do want to still keep some like some as you say some separation because mm. yeah we does it like we deserve our own identity um, yeah so yeah um no i think that's I think that's a, a fantastic idea and like put you know mix the the combat in with as you say like uh merchants some like some of the survival stuff as well um yeah i watched i watched some of the survival stuff with uh with with ben that you've talked about and like Mm. Um, and that's pretty cool and i mean like people like yourselves must have been like you know at the start of covid when everybody thought it was going to be the apocalypse you guys mm. were like yes this is our time <laughs> we're gonna go live in a fucking bush it's yeah. funny. i've got a cupboard full of stuff that i only use twice a year and i'm ready to use it <laughs> yeah. give me a knife and a piece of twine and i'll be fine <laughs> And then, and then, yeah, let's just sleep out of the plate, and then it hits minus four, and you're like, I wish I'd got a sleeping bag. <laughs> so where can people find you online? Online? So you can probably find us at uh, Source of Swords, probably if you just put in S-A-O-R-S-A, Source of um, Swords, uh, just in the Google, you should be able to find us. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, probably try and get a YouTube soon, but for now, yep. Source of Swords or Source of Scottish Swordsmanship. If you want to do the outdoor survival events with us, then you'd be probably be better off to find them through what would be called Primal, Primal Bushcraft and Survival. So they're the company that's running them. Uh, I definitely recommend checking them out. They do a lot of other really cool courses like surviving on a desert island and stuff like that. Some really nice stuff. Um, so Primal Bushcraft and Survival. And also the guy that I do these, um, we, probably, we were talking about him before, Fan Dabby Dozy. Wilderness Adventures, Tom Langhorn, he does some really nice stuff. He runs a YouTube channel as well. Um, I definitely work. Check him out as well, if you haven't already. If you'd like to find out more about historical European martial arts, visit www.academyofsteel.com or you can shoot us over a message at info at academyofsteel.com or you can get in touch with us through Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, ah, there's another one, Instagram, and... YouTube. Go watch our YouTube. I haven't put anything up for a while, but help, help us with the algorithm.